Welcome back to another episode of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And I'm actually supposed to be talking college football previews, supposed to be talking AAC, but I'm going to get back to that tomorrow. If you remember when I started my podcast, I mentioned I would be giving y'all reports on HBCUs, which are historically black colleges and universities. And know we're living in unprecedented times and we're dealing with this coronavirus. Matter of fact, anyone that was watching baseball, you noticed the Miami Marlins. At first it was said four players contracted it. Now the report is as high as 13. Two MLB games have been postponed because of the outbreak and Personally speaking, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, so, got a report here. It says for HBCUs, the coronavirus pandemic hits especially close to home. Historically, black colleges and universities are grappling with how to best serve a population at particular risk to COVID-19. Leaders of historically black colleges and universities are grappling with a challenge others in higher education don't fully share. How to reopen their campuses to a population that has proven especially vulnerable to COVID-19. Black people are dying at 2.5 times the rate of white people, according to the COVID ratio data tracker and nearly a third of deaths among non-white Americans were in people younger than 65, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, compared with 13% among white people under that age. We have to acknowledge and recognize that African Americans with comorbidities have far far worse in this pandemic than any other group said Howard University President Wayne A.I. Frederick in an interview. I think for an HBCU in particular, there's a lot of differences in terms of opening that are probably a little more accentuated because of our circumstances. Howard, a private historically black university in Washington, D.C., is aiming to reopen for some in-person classes this fall using its own campus hospital to facilitate both frequent student testing and treatment if necessary. But a growing number of private HBCUs, which are predominantly located in the South, are opting for online-only instruction. University presidents and officials from the United Negro College Fund told Politico. It's a decision driven by health considerations. The South is currently home to some of the worst coronavirus outbreaks in the country, but it has educational, financial, and emotional implications for school communities as well. HBCU students are traditionally low-income, first-generation, and academically underprepared college students of color, according to Thurgood Marshall College Fund and the schools themselves typically have endowments that are only a fraction of predominantly 
white institutions. The black students who lack sufficient access to resources for online learning could drop out or fall deeper into debt by transferring to a more expensive university closer to home. At the same time, traditionally underfunded HBCUs could lose even more revenue if fewer students enroll for the fall, and private polling shows that HBCU students are especially feeling the weight of a pandemic that has disproportionately infected, killed, and laid off black Americans. Colette Pierce Burnett, president of Houston Tillotson University, a private HBCU in Austin, Texas, said that before announcing class would be online only in the fall, the school examined engaged more than a dozen scenarios for reopening in addition to holding listening sessions and surveying students. A tipping point for us was the trends that were beginning to show about vulnerability of populations of color, Burnett said. About 87% of all HTU employees are people of color, Burnett said, and 99% of its students are people of color. So, the best choice was clearly to make the choice for the health and safety of the students and the people who served them, she said. A consortium of private HBCUs in Atlanta, including Morehouse College, Spelman College, and Clark Atlanta University, just informed their student body last week that they would educate students entirely online this upcoming semester. George French, Jr., president of Clark Atlanta University, said his school has ordered digital thermometers, had test kits for students, restructured classrooms for social distancing, planned to limit campus population from 4,000 to 1,700, and was in the process of testing all of its employees. But a deep dive into data found that the overwhelming majority of its incoming class, 97%, would come in from coronavirus hotspots. We could wind up with hundreds of individuals being infected in a number of days. It was just a risk that we couldn't take, French said. Clark Atlanta University, Morehouse, Spelman, we each ran our numbers and our losses are going to, at each institution, exceed $20 million. It's a big financial loss but it's something that we had to do. Instead, indeed, private HBCUs that won't host students on campus this fall will lose revenue from room and board, forcing these institutions to rely on philanthropic efforts and, in some cases, funding from Congress. A number of these schools have not only reduced tuition, but also pledged to supply students with technology such as computers, tablets, and Wi-Fi hotspots. HBCU leaders said some students this spring were forced to try to complete assignments on their cell phones, write them out on paper, and email pictures or even snail mail them to their professors due to lack of internet access or other technology. A lot of schools are trying to figure out can we open safely in the fall knowing that we serve a population that is 
disproportionately impacted by this disease. Walter Kimbrough, president of Dillard University in New Orleans, said during a fireside chat with the Human Rights Campaign last week. But on the other side of that, it also helps us think about that when you talk about going online, for some people, there is no online. In the state of Louisiana, 30% of families don't have internet access. Kimbrough said in an interview that Dillard is watching coronavirus rates in Louisiana and will follow state guidelines for schools. The United Negro College Fund, which has a membership network of 37 private HBCUs, conducted a survey of more than 5,000 students from 17 private HBCUs to inform schools' reopening, schools reopening plans. The survey found that 10% fewer students said they'd return to school if all instruction is online, that students' mental and financial well-being were being diminished by the pandemic, and students were three times more likely to consider transferring to a school that's closer to home. Multiple HBCU leaders warned that a high percentage of students who take time off from school are unlikely to return and graduate, and that many black students are also having to overcome socioeconomic disparities, excavating the efforts of the pandemic. We hear from students that the stresses, the mental and emotional stresses that they're involved in, in taking care of families who have been laid off, in taking care of families who have been victimized by COVID, and having to take on additional work responsibilities and worry about paying for school, in some cases wondering about where their next meal is coming from. Those stresses are being felt by young black college students dramatically. And we believe those are the kind of stresses that make them even more vulnerable to the virus, said Brian Bridges, UNCF's Vice President of Research and Member Engagement. Those kind of concerns may help explain a widening, widening racial divide when it comes to opinions on reopening schools at all levels. So there you have a report on what's going on with the HBCU schools in general and the decisions that they are having to come up with and decisions they're having to make and how it's having an effect, especially on African Americans in general. The report goes on and says, and According to a recent political morning consult poll, 60% of black voters strongly or somewhat oppose reopening colleges and universities this fall, compared with 40% of white voters. When it comes to reopening K-12 schools, 66% of black voters are opposed to are opposed versus 49% of white. President Donald Trump and his administration have been pushing hard for schools to reopen for fall in-person learning this fall, a position that few Americans of any race agree with. According to the political morning consult poll and other surveys, part of what's getting lost in the policy debate or the education debate about whether schools should be open is that different communities are experiencing this thing in 
profoundly different ways, said Sakhu Biddle, UNCF's vice president of K-12 advocacy, noting that for some, the pandemic is just a news story and for others, it's much more personal. People's personal experience with the pandemic are doing a lot to shape how comfortable or how much you believe we should be going back to school. So that's that report. So undoubtedly we are facing uncertain times, times that are leading to extra added stress and pressures of the everyday life. It's like we know as the pandemic life. So when I come back, I will have some more reports. This will be coming out of the MEAC, MEAC, what's going on with the players in that conference. Stay tuned to A-Train Sports Talk. I will be back after this word from my sponsor. All right, welcome back. This is coming from HBCU Game Day. Three top MEAC players out after postponing football. The decision by the MEAC to postpone fall athletics was intended to protect student athletes and help save lives. It looks as though that decision may have ended up costing several programs some key players. Three of the MEAC's top players and pro prospects have decided to move on after the conference announced it was postponing football this fall. Florida A&M offensive tackle Calvin Ashley announced on Friday that he will forego his final season of eligibility to prepare for the NFL draft. The 6'6", 335-pounder spent one season at Florida A&M University after transferring from Auburn. Ashley isn't the only stud MEAC offensive tackle moving on. North Carolina A&T's Dante Keyes announced he would be entering the transfer portal on Monday. The all-MEAC offensive lineman has was a part of three straight MEAC championship squads and Celebration Bowl winners. Keys will be joined in the transfer portal by South Carolina State defensive tackle Roderick Perry. The six foot two, three hundred pound lineman had thirty four tackles, fourteen and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, and a forced fumble in twenty nineteen. He's drawn the attention of NFL scouts and will likely draw the attention of FBS schools looking for a talented D-lineman. More MEAC dominoes to fall. None of the student-athletes have directly stated that the conference's decision to sit out fall 2020 pushed their hand, but the fact that all three made their decisions in late July definitely seems to hint at it. While a spring football season would thrill many fans of HBCU football, it would also coincide with the preparation for the NFL draft. One MEAC pro prospect who has stayed put is NCANT running back 
Jamaine Martin, the 2019 Protect Your Skull HBCU Game Day Offensive Player of the Year broke several of Tariq Cohen's records as a junior. He's got NFL size and speed and the talent that many FBS programs would covet. However, as we reported on Saturday night, it isn't 100% certain A&T won't play in 2020. It will be interesting to see if other HBCU stars decide to transfer to schools that are playing or follow Ashley's lead. So there you have what's going on within the conference and what's going on with players who have decided with what's going on, it's time to move on. I will have some more when I come back, so stay tuned after this quick word from my sponsor. I didn't know they even have food like that, bro. Okay. <laughs> Listen, so all the time is shut down in Atlanta, the, the, the restaurant is still open. You can still go to Magic and get your food. It's essential. It's an essential it's part of our culture here. All right, that was a clip from back in April. Lou Williams putting it on Front Street to Rod Gold on Wude that Magic City is his favorite restaurant. So here's the latest. NBA placed Lou Will in a 10-day quarantine after the Clippers guard was investigated by the league for what he did while on an unexcused absence. Un so let's put a pin right there. Lou Williams. Yes, I'm going totally unscripted. I'm not looking at no notes. I'm going straight off the top because this story has caught a lot of attention. I haven't even gotten to what Kendrick Perkins said. All I know is Kendrick Perkins said Lou Williams has broken the trust. So, apparently when Lou Williams got his excused absence from the bubble, as we know it, the reason was because of he was going to, it appeared his father's funeral, but come to find out it was a friend of the family's father. So still, all right, no big deal. But then he goes to Magic City to get some food. Well, while there, the rapper Jack, whatever his last name is, takes a picture with him. It ends up on Instagram. And when it's all said and done, it comes out as if that was an old picture. But here's what gets me. If that was an old photo, why did Lou Williams have on mask that was issued, I do believe, by the NBA that you can't get nowhere else, okay? And then Lou basically says, I just went to grab me a bite to eat. I was in and out. Mind you, Magic City is a gentleman's club. 
And I take it as a place where celebrities hang out. So now, if you are the L.A. Clippers, and you know you're vying for a spot in this playoff because you're only playing so many games, if you Doc Williams, you're probably scratching what little bit of hair you have left in the top of your head. Like, how could somebody do something so, can I just say it, stupid? If you used to go to a funeral service, go and come back. Don't be caught lingering because... In this day and age, everybody has technology. At least 95.9% of people got technology. And in that technology, it has a camera on it. So it's not like back in the 80s where you can go into a gentleman's club. Nobody knows you're there. You don't have no TMZ following you around, getting the report and post, putting it out there. No, this is 2020. Everybody has some type of technology. In other words, where you go is no secret. How do the teammates respond to this? Because right now, even the Clippers right now playing an exhibition game are not at full strength and probably won't even be at full strength for the reopening season. I mean, they got quite a few players out. Uh, Lou Williams has to quarantine for at least 10 days, and the NBA is investigating his whereabouts and what he did. So this doesn't look good. And it looks like all of a sudden now that the Clippers, who were probably a favorite to win the championship, look like you can almost polish up their trophy and give it to the Lakers, or they, at least the Lakers will be playing for a share of that title. The reason I say playing for a share because they have to beat whoever comes out of the East. And we'll get into that another time. But the Lou Williams situation is the one that's garnering a lot of headlines because of what he did, how he has betrayed the trust of not only his teammates, but pretty much all the teams that are playing in this bubble. I mean, look at how the reaction was to Rudy Gobert last year or earlier this year when he left the interview room and basically, you know, playing around touching the mics, then only come to find out he had COVID-19 and one of his teammates had it and that made for a tense situation. Between the two LA teams, with everything that's going on, the team that seemed the most focused between the Clippers and the Lakers, I would definitely say it's the Lakers. And unless the Clippers get their act together, they might not make a deep as run as we think they will. Because they have yet to play with everybody healthy. Right now, you got. Paul George healthy, you got Kawhi Leonard healthy, but now you got players like Lou Williams serving quarantine. You have Landry Shamit out right now. So, right now, Doc is just trying to piece together a practice squad, let alone a team. So, the timing couldn't have been worse as regards to what Lou Williams did. And if I'm in that locker room, I'm pulling him aside and I'm going to know this is going to be a conversation and it's not going to be a friendly conversation. We're going to let you know we did not approve of what you did. We think that was selfish of you, that was stupid of you, that was boneheaded, whatever you want to call it. The timing couldn't have been worse. So, would you welcome him back? Yes, you welcome him back, but you also don't know, hey, that's not acceptable. We're here 
win a championship, we need everybody focusing on the same page. So, yes, that was selfish what Lou Williams did. If he was to go to the funeral service, go get on back. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, hopefully within this week to come, there are some things going on. I have some readjusting to do, some resituating to do. But uh, hopefully I can get my partner Rick Thomas on. Rick just got a nice deal and he's going to be leaving our fair city. So I'm about to get him on before he gets up out of here and do another episode with him so he can tell you what's going on because he can tell you more than I can. But in the meantime, take care of yourself and each other. Have a blessed evening. God bless. I'm out. This is A-Train.